Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. You are our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're a people blessed. We have a a God so near to us that you dwell within us by your spirit. Lord, we thank you for your presence among us that we can say at all times, Emmanuel, God is with us. May we become more and more aware of your presence among us, that we can find strength in weakness, that we can see light in darkness, hope in hopelessness, peace in Christ. Lord, we come to you by the blood of Jesus Christ to ask you for forgiveness of our sins. Lord, forgive us for making this season of Christmas that celebrates the birth of you more about gifts and family than about the word becoming flesh. Lord, we ask that you would turn our hearts year by year to you. We ask that you would forgive us for not caring for the lost and the needy around us, for not loving them as you call us to love them. Lord, we ask that you would create in us hearts that love you first and others as ourselves. We thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to forgive us, your faithfulness to grant us help and mercy in our time of need. Lord, we continue to pray that you would lessen the effects of the virus around the world. Lord, we ask that you would fill up the empty positions in the hospitals and that you would grant rest to the weary health care workers that have been working so hard during these last years. Give them endurance, Lord, and wisdom. We also pray for our military men and women during this time of year and their families. We ask that you would comfort them while having to spend these precious moments apart from their loved ones, Lord. And we ask that you would comfort their families and and grant them opportunities to come together and and call each other and chat. My Lord, I, I pray that you would draw their eyes to you. Lord, we lift up Matt and Tamara and Stuart, as they minister in Canada, I thank you that they're here and able to share a little bit with us this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to give them wisdom as their ministry uh, takes different shapes and uh, that um, ministry is always changing, Lord. And we ask that you would continue to use them in a mighty way. Give them endurance. Grant them success, Lord. Bless them as they're, they're here for the holidays, Lord, that you would um, give them good health, that you would give them a sweet time of rest and, and enjoying their family. Lord, as we turn to your word now, we ask that you would guide us by your spirit. Jesus, help me to magnify you as king, to reveal your grace. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock, and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. Right, we decided that, yes. 
We're going to trick them and keep them in here one day. Uh, For the rest of you, if you will, uh, turn to Isaiah 9. That's our passage this morning as Darren read. Well, good morning, church. I recently read that one of the most difficult uh, conditions a person can be forced to endure is darkness. They use darkness in uh, captivity, they use darkness in prisons uh, to break down an individual's self, uh, their, their sense of self. Because it's in darkness that a person becomes disoriented. Uh, they start to lose what's around them. Uh, they start to question things. They, they feel no longer like they're in control. And then self-confidence in that situation starts to shrivel. Combativeness becomes fear, weakness, or resistance starts to weaken, and the prisoner starts to become malleable. This is not advice on how to manipulate people. Sin has placed us all in spiritual darkness. It broke our will and our desire to to follow God's will. Satan capitalizes on that situation as often as he can. And he wants to lead us further and further into darkness, so it's harder and harder for us to hear the word of God. And not only does he capitalize on spiritual darkness, but he ensures, or he tries to ensure, that even after salvation, he wants you to keep thinking you're in darkness. He wants you to forget that upon you a great light has shone. He wants to point to you as often as possible. He wants to point out the chaos around you. He wants you to focus on that. He wants to highlight the struggles of humanity and your weakness. And he wants to amplify the struggles of the government around us. He wants to provoke fear with things like COVID. And he wants to frustrate elections so that the church starts to tear at each other. He wants to keep us in darkness. But 2,000 years ago, a baby was born. And he's the true light. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But Jesus is the light that leads us out of spiritual darkness. So the incarnation of Jesus Christ, it it gives us a great hope in our darkness. Look at the text. Isaiah 9, we'll start in verse 2. Isaiah writes, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And we have to take a look at to whom is Isaiah referring here? A people in great darkness. So we just back up a little bit in verse 1. You say, why didn't you start there, Greg? I don't know. Um, He says, but there will be no gloom for her who's in anguish. In a former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. 
But in the later time, he's made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So the people he's talking about here is Galilee of the nations. And they were represented as those who were in darkness. They were way up north. They were really far away from Jerusalem. They were far away from the temple of God. So that means that they were far away from the presence of God as they would have seen it. They were surrounded by the Gentile nation, so they were heavily influenced by cultures other than the Hebrew culture. This is why we read in John 1.46, and Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's the, it's the nation of Gentiles. But I want you to notice, it's these people that are far off, these people who are in darkness are the ones the promise is given to. It would be almost 800 years before Christ is born after this. 800 years before he arrives. But it's in that darkness that, that God gives them the hope of his word. He says, on these people, a great light is shown. Isaiah reminds them later toward the end of, of the book, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. We so often want to light our own torches, but he's saying trust in God. You see, the hope we have, it's not, it's not determined with our situation that we're presently going through. The hope that we have is not determined by the surroundings around us. Our hope is anchored in the Lord God Almighty and His Word. His, his saying is His doing. And I'm, I'm certain that some of you in here today or some are listening online are in darkness. And, and you should take note of this prophecy. God is saying this. 800 years, it doesn't happen. But the, the, just the fact that he says it is what this people can rest in. I can trust his word. He's the only true light. Our problem comes is when we're sitting in darkness... And we want to light our own path. So Isaiah 50, verse 11, just the next verse says, Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, you walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. So often we want to be the answer. So often in darkness, we want to say, I'm going to light my own torch. I'm tired of being in darkness. I'm tired of, of dealing with this. I want to solve my own problem. I'm going to find my own way out of darkness. But God says, apart from me, you're only going to find torment. In your darkness, you're not the answer. Jesus alone is the answer. Now, our darkness goes much deeper than tough situations. Our darkness was down to the very core of who we were. We were in spiritual darkness. Remember who we were. Paul reminds them, now I say this, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's, 
that would be us, and the futility of their minds. They were darkened in their understanding. They were alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that was in them due to their hardness of hearts. We turned our backs on God. We tried to light our own way. That is what happened in the garden. God told them what they should do and what they should not do. And they said, but this looks good. I'm gonna, this looks better. I'm going to light my own path. Jesus becomes our hope in the darkness by putting on flesh, by becoming incarnate. His incarnation is the light that shines in all of our darkness. That's why we read in in John 1, 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And we read in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The light is, is not the perfect gift under the tree. The light is, is not having family home for the holidays. This is all wonderful stuff, and it's, we're blessed to be able to have that. But the light that shines in the darkness is Jesus Christ alone. Everything else is corrupt. Everything else would pull us away if it had an opportunity. The reason Jesus was born, the reason he was baptized, the reason he was tempted, that he he endured teaching and, and died and was resurrected was to give us hope in the darkness. This is why Matthew connects Jesus' ministry with this exact prophecy in Isaiah 9. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. That's an important word if you remember where this light's shining from. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, does sound familiar? The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus offers us this light in the darkness. This is who I am. I am here to rescue you. And not only is is that hope individual, not only does he come to save individuals, this this darkness um, that Jesus is coming to combat, he he does so by growing his church. Look at verse 3 in Isaiah 9. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest is they are glad when they divide the spoil. This is the increase of the messianic kingdom. It's the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that in you, he says, in you, Abraham, in your offspring, I'm going to to bless the nations. They're going to be as many as the stars in the sky. And then we continue to read and we get this this picture of of joy at the harvest and, and dividing of spoil, which would be defeating of an enemy. And these are two sides of the same coin. Each time a member is added to the kingdom of God, the enemy suffers defeat. So we rejoice in the harvest that Christ is bringing his bride. He's saving his people. He's redeeming his people. And we're also rejoicing that he's crushing evil. 
And as you gaze upon the manger this Christmas or whatever you're looking at, I encourage you to remember that God himself became human to build his kingdom. This is why I love gathering here on Christmas morning. I know it's not the most popular thing to do on Christmas morning, but it's, it's this picture as the church gathers, when most of the world is focused on gifts and, and other things, we see this beautiful picture of, of God's people, the kingdom people coming together and celebrating their king. Like, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we're here. He's, he's rescuing us out of darkness. And we have this great hope because Jesus binds our enemy. Look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The yoke of the oppressor has been broken in Christ. In the weakness of a baby being born, in the weakness of a man dying on a cross, our enemy is disarmed. Disarmed. His weapons are broken. They're ineffective against the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians 2.15. It says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He's victorious. He can't be defeat, defeated. And he turns to you and me and he says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take, your, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you weary this morning of the evil around you. Look to Jesus. He's the conqueror. Are you tired of fighting? Rest in Jesus. He's victorious. If we keep reading, it says, for every boot, verse 5, of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's all useless now. Because he's, he's defeated. The, the boots and the garments, the enemy will be burned with fire. One, either they're laying dead and that's how they took care of dead bodies. Or, or it's just, he's just saying, we don't need that anymore. It's over. The battle is done. And I'm sure I agree this speaks to a time of final peace. But more immediately, this, this speaks to us right now that our, our enemy is defeated. Church, we have an enemy that can't really harm us. Sure, he can, he can make us miserable. He can, he can give us sickness. He can create pain. He can oppress. He can slander. But his weapons are useless. Look at this text. And Jesus said to him, I saw fate, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. John 12. Now is the time of judgment of this world, and the ruler of this world will be cast out. Ephesians 4, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, setting us free. Hebrews 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. Why? 
that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. We've been set free. Our eternity is secure. Our, our sins, they're paid for. Our hope is kept in heaven for us. So are you still living as if your enemy is stronger than your Savior? Because I think a lot of times we live that way. We live like he is stronger than Jesus. Has he kept your eyes on the darkness so that you're living in anxiety of what's going to happen next? Has your enemy put a stop to your prayer life because you think you can't see through the darkness, so what's the point of continuing to pray? May this Christmas be a reminder that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Because the incarnation of Jesus, his appearing, his putting on flesh, is the inauguration of our king. Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the king, is the king who is our savior. The angel tells Mary, for you, Mary, will call his name Jesus, not because it was the most popular name in 3 BC or AD or whatever year, but because it means he's going to save his people from their sins. That's why his name is Savior. That's why his name is Jesus. And Zechariah, at the birth of John, he proclaims that Jesus, in Jesus, he is redeeming his people. He's raising up a horn of salvation. He's saving us, he says, from our enemies. He's remembering his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Simeon cries out, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. The prophetess Anna proclaims and testifies that Jesus is the long-expected Messiah. And you were in darkness of sin. And in the world around you it was dark, but God in his mercy shines his light, the knowledge of the gospel in your heart. We read in 2 Corinthians, for God said, let, for, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's shown the light, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Jesus is our Savior, King. Far too often, I think we come to the manger and we read of Jesus being, being given as a baby and we coo and we call and we, we think it's, it's cute and it's wonderful. But we're not brought to our knees in worship. That God Almighty became vulnerable. May we be careful not to just give Christ a nod at Christmas. But may we be humbled by the fact that 
For unto us a child is born and a son is given. Look at the text. And the government, verse 6, shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called. Well, we'll get there. Let's just talk about the government first. The incarnation doesn't just bring us a God who is a savior or a king who is just a savior who's going to rescue us out, but he's a king who rules perfectly. He rules, the government is on his shoulder. He is in complete control. All authority on earth and heaven and earth have been given to him. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 28. All authority. He he says, I am the promised king, the one that was promised to David, the eternal reigning king. That's who I am. He'll rule forever. There's no end to the increase of his government, it says here in the text. Verse 7. He's an ever-expanding kingdom. And his rule is just. It's not tainted with fake news. It's not corrupt by personal agendas or opinions. His rule is indisputable. All of his verdicts are unchallengeable. His rule is righteous. It's always perfect. His decisions are unquestionable. His decrees are without error. His word is infallible. His way is always right. This is our king. And I I want you to notice, just for a minute, if you'll look at this, it says the government will be upon his shoulder. And he's not saying, the text is not saying the American government or the Canadian government or the Russian government or the Chinese government are upon his shoulder. Sure, he's in complete control of all things that happen throughout history. But he's saying the government that is on his shoulders is the kingdom of God. It is a superior kingdom. It is a perfect kingdom. He's building his kingdom with his people. The baby in a manger didn't come to turn our eyes toward an earthly government. He came to turn our eyes toward the true king, Jesus Christ. He says, my kingdom. I will rule my kingdom. And what great confidence we have in those words. It's his kingdom that everything around us can crumble. Everything in this world can turn against us. The governments can turn against us. We can be taken over by a foreign government. We can sit in persecution. We can hear fake news and chaos and war. And we know we can rest because our God reigns. His kingdom cannot be overthrown. There's nothing can replace his kingdom. Nothing is is bigger. Nothing is eternal like his kingdom. And you may be thinking, but I can't see that. I can't see the way. So we keep reading. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. A lot of times we seek counsel everywhere but the word and in the church and in prayer. We seek advice from our friends. Unfortunately, we seek a lot of advice from our news feeds. We listen to our feelings. But we forget that our friends are just as fallen as we are. And our, the news is agenda-driven and, and our feelings are busted. The heart is corrupt beyond anything. So 
Church, it says, for unto us a child is born and, and a son is given and his name is Wonderful Counselor. He's the one we need to, in, in all the chaos, in all the darkness, we have a wonderful and perfect counselor to go to. Isaiah says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Yahweh has given you the word made flesh. He's placed his spirit inside you. If you're a believer, he's, he's given you his spirit to, so you can remember all that he has taught you. And he's helping you and guiding you and counseling you. Turn to Jesus. Because his counsel comes from eternal wisdom. His counsel, he's all-knowing. I'm not, I think I'm all-knowing at times. Nikki would affirm that. I'm not. Believe it or not. Jesus is all-knowing. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He holds all things together. Where else would we go? If we can go to him, if we have access to him, a king of all creation, if I have free access to him, why would I not go to him? Why would I not seek his counsel? Stay in the word. Pray without ceasing. Seek godly counsel. And when you get together and talk, push each other to Christ. So instead of grumbling and, and stoking the fires of one another's opinions, because we can all find groups that agree with us, right? Seek the counsel of the Lord together. Point each other to Christ. Hey, let's, let's see what the Word says. Let's see what Christ is leading us to do. Because he's, look at the text his name is Wonderful Counselor. It's Mighty God. Mighty God. Psalm 20 tells us some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we are going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. He's Lord God Almighty. He is our champion. He is the victor. He is our hero. He is the conqueror. Flesh and blood cannot overcome his reign. Demons cower before him. They ask permission from him. His strength is unparalleled. His might is unmatched. One day Jesus will bring all evil to an end in a breath. Not in a great battle, in a breath. So when you gaze upon the nativity scene, you're not looking at this helpless baby that's very cute and that's it. You're looking at mighty God who came to save his people. And when you look at your life and it, it seems as if darkness is overcoming you, you remember his name. It's mighty God. It's not wimpy God. There are none stronger than him. And in him, we are more than conquerors. So we have mighty God to lean on. So if your addiction is tempting you, remember, you have mighty God as a savior. 
When your anger boils, remember your Savior is mighty. When all seems hopeless in the news, remember you have a mighty God. When your child runs from the Lord, remember you have a mighty God. When Satan seems to be winning, remember our God is mighty. This is the God that our faith is based in, anchored in. Mighty God. He's our hope. Not someone who can be overrun. Like we have a firm confidence in who he is. And not only is his counsel perfect and his might unmatchable, but our king is known as everlasting father. This title is usually given to God the father. That's not what the author is writing here, I don't think. This title, it speaks more of him being eternal as a king. The same word for father is used for ruler. So the power and wisdom that he has, it issues from the fact that he's eternal. He's the father of eternity. Not created, but creator. Not dependent, but sovereign. He's the author of life. He made all, and in him is all, and through him. It's in his hands that we place our past, our present, our future. Because he's the great I am. And he's the prince of peace. The one whom the angels sang, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. In the last two years, I think if we took a poll, we wouldn't say it was the most peaceful. Doesn't seem like it's been very peaceful, but that's only because we've allowed ourselves to take our eyes off of the Prince of Peace and place them on things that have no power. A great earthly ruler will fail us. A good job may eventually require us to do something that we don't want to do. A spouse, a child, a friend cannot bring lasting peace. All good things. But Jesus alone is the prince of peace. He gives us peace because in God, he gives us peace between God, excuse me, and ourselves by dying on the cross for our sin. He gives peace in suffering because he is creating in us an eternal weight of glory through all of our suffering. He gives us peace and sorrow and death because we know that our Redeemer lives. He gives us peace and persecution because he's the righteous judge. We know that he is the righteous judge. He gives us peace in in hunger and thirst and poverty because he's the provider. He gives us peace in sickness because he's the great physician. He gives us peace in our future because we believe he's making all things new. He gives us peace that surpasses all understanding because he is mighty God. Are you resting in the Prince of Peace? If you spend more time on the news feed or Facebook than in the Word, you're probably not resting in peace. So turn to Jesus. Gaze upon Jesus. Allow his promises to penetrate your soul. Meditate on them. Allow his life to guide your path. Allow his might to comfort you. 
Rest in the shadow of his wings. Rest in the peace of the cross. Rest in the peace that God loved you so much that he would give his son to die for you. Rest in the peace that you are eternally his, eternally safe, adopted, loved, forgiven, guarded, provided for, heard, co-heirs with Christ, children of God. Look at the last verse. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is certain. It's not he might do it if he's having a good day. He's promised to do it. It's done. It will happen. So my challenge for you this, this Christmas season is to meditate on Jesus. And that sounds like, oh, well, we hear that every year, Greg. <laughs> we can hear that for the rest of eternity. Get to know him as the wonderful counselor, as mighty God, as the everlasting father, as the prince of peace. And if you're here this morning and you say, I don't, I know Jesus, but I don't know that Jesus. Come talk to me. I would love to introduce you to the light of the world. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Let's pray. Father, what a gift your Son is to us. Your grace is far more than we can understand. And Lord, I, just, I pray that if there's any in here that, that, that does not know you, that do not know you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would show them you, you truly are the light of the world. You are the only hope in darkness. Lord, and the, those of us who are in here and, and we've forgotten to gaze upon who you are and to meditate on your character, I pray that you would remind us to come to you as wonderful counselor, to trust in you as, as mighty God, to, to have faith that you are the everlasting father and, and rest in the fact that you're the prince of peace. Father, we love you. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.